On this prequel episode, we've got our First Blood fan polls, we're learning about fairy tales, and previewing Tangled slash Rapunzel. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. We've got all of our prequel segments, and that means we're starting out with our patron shoutouts. Uh, we didn't have any new patrons in the last two weeks, which is just fine. But uh, you should you should support us on Patreon if you can. <laughs> Head on over there. Uh, you can listen to our pre- just-released episode uh, where we talked about Lost Girl and New Girl. Let's Hear It for the Girls is the name of that episode. Uh, if you're a $5 or up patron, you get access to our bonus content feed. And you can listen to that episode where we discuss those two shows. One of them you've probably seen slash heard of. And one of them you probably haven't. So, because everybody's seen Lost Girls. So. <laughs> our, but we do have our our standard, our $15 Academy Award winning patrons. These are uh, the people who support us for $15 a month or more. And they are Eli Youngs or Ellie Youngs. Probably Eli. I think we discussed this yeah. numerous times. But I'm pretty sure it's Eli Youngs. Gratch. Just Gratch. Shelby Suderman, Mr. Nobody, I went back to work for COVID-19. This is the person who changes their name every time. I'm sorry that you had to do that. I don't know what you do, so <laughs> that's, uh, that's unfortunate. Um, hopefully you're not in a place where you're in too much danger. And finally, Alina Doletkolova. Those are our $15 patrons. You can join them and get your name read every prequel episode. And get a priority get priority recommendation when you recommend movies, uh, you know, within reason. You can't just recommend <laughs> fifty and then expect us to do all of them. But you know, you get one and then you act away when a couple months later. Maybe we'll put it on. We'll see. You know, we're gonna feel it out and make sure it feels realistic and fair. You can't just be our new list <laughs> if you're a fifteen dollar patron. Um, but that was what First Blood was. Uh, I believe Gratch just Gratch recommended First Blood, and that's why we did that one. So. All right, let's go ahead and do our fan poll follow-up for First Blood. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So we had no feedback on Facebook. What the not, heck? Not a single vote, Something's not a Facebook. single comment. I really think we're getting screwed by the algorithm on Facebook. Something's wrong with Facebook. Yeah, because we've been, we had a lot, like, markedly less interaction on posts in general lately. I think they disincent at this, I think they push polls down. I don't think Facebook likes polls. I think I remember reading about this. I don't do actual polls anymore. I post the picture with the reaction. I think they also don't like that. I think that the the polls in general and, and those kind of reaction fishing things, now obviously a little different for us because we're not trying to but they generally if i remember when i worked in news this is a thing we talked about all the time is that facebook and polls it's, it's it, it can do really well when you have a built-in audience but the facebook for whatever reason doesn't like polls supposedly and so it does not promote your that content they also mm-hmm. it also doesn't like stuff with too much text in it it's it's weird it's weird the algorithm's weird all algorithms on all social media and youtube and stuff is weird but so um it's yeah well maybe i'll just look into the keywords yeah. and avoid words like vote or poll. Yeah, I think that may be part of it. If you avoid that, maybe might help. Yeah. I don't know. We'll I don't know enough that. about SEO and, and Facebook and stuff to... I don't either, but I know people who do. There you go. Um, but anyway, if you follow us on Facebook, keep an eye out for those polls. Um, we like hearing y'all's thoughts and opinions. 
Um, and it makes the segment more interesting mm -hmm. when we have stuff to read and talk about. So keep a lookout. We'll do our best to try and circumvent the algorithm. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting because we had this episode did great, too. This episode is one of the top ones we've had recently. Mm -hmm. Like it's all it's over. It's up there. It's 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 pushing a thousand downloads. Nice. Which is amongst our better like for how quickly within a week that is a very well performing episode for us. So yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, we did a little better on Twitter. Um, we had eight votes on Twitter. Six of them were for the movie. Two of them were for the book. And we had a couple comments from followers as well. At Dragonborn2008 said... Adovakin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they said, even though I've never read the book, I've seen the movie as a kid like 10 years ago, and I enjoyed it a lot. Seeing it today is not only nostalgic for me, but it's also one of my favorite Stallone movies up there with Rocky and Demolition Man. I could be wrong. Rocky is a great movie. I'm pretty sure Demolition Man is not good. But I've never seen it. Well, I, maybe they just remember it nostalgically. Right. I just think it's interesting because this movie and Rocky are both very good, and we talked about in the episode about them being kind of remembered just as part of the Stallone oeuvre, maybe, and not necessarily so much as the like standalone, just good films that they are. Um, and so it's funny seeing Demolition Man lumped in with these. But I get, I get their point, <laughs> like that they watched yeah. it as a kid and like it and have fond memories. So, and we also got feedback from at Shelby Suderman, an Academy Award winning patron. Yes, and Shelby said, "I enjoyed the movie, especially Sylvester Stallone's performance and the addition of Rambo looking for his friend. Mm -hmm. However, I chose the book." I get what the movie was doing with the cop characters, but I preferred the complexity of Teasel and Rambo in the book, and I appreciated the dark humor. I could agree with that. Mm -hmm. And Shelby also said, I've been trying to confirm this, but I believe this book and movie came out while PTSD was still in the process of being recognized the way we do now, and both could have helped with public awareness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. Yeah. And I think... Definitely the movie having come out obviously later than the book, we can see like the difference in portrayal. Yeah. Even just from book to movie. Yeah. All right. That was it for our fan feedback on First Blood. Lots of F's in there. Let's go ahead. We've got a learning things segment. And we're learning about one of Katie's favorite things. So let's learn about fairy tales. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. This is one of my favorite things. <laughs> so I've mentioned on here before, I did my master's thesis on fairy tales. I actually wrote a collection of fairy tales. It was a creative thesis, but I also did, obviously, quite a good bit of research yeah. for that. It's a master's project, after all. <laughs> for a while there, and I mean, it is still is something that I would love to do, but money and also job opportunities... But for a while there, I did have my eye on a couple of PhD programs in folklore studies. Yeah. This is my wheelhouse. <laughs> this is a thing that I really like. Yeah. So if you've ever wanted to hear me pop off about fairy tales. <laughs> Strap in. This is your episode. <laughs> so a quick definition first. A fairy tale is a genre of folklore. Um typically takes the form of a short story. Sometimes fairy tales are often called wonder tales or magic tales. Obviously, they don't all feature fairies. 
No. So that makes sense. Um, but fairy tales is the well-known term. It's kind of the accepted overarching umbrella term for the entire genre. Fairy tales are often thought of as morality stories, um, although that's not necessarily a requirement of a fairy tale. And in fact, a lot of them don't have a clear moral or lesson at the end. Yeah. But my goal here isn't really to explain to you guys what a fairy tale is. I'm sure most of you know what a fairy tale is, or at least have a pretty good idea of what a fairy tale is. I actually want to talk about fairy tales from a slightly more academic perspective. I promise that's not going to be boring. (laughs) Um, But maybe think of this segment as a sort of primer for understanding how I'm going to discuss both Rapunzel and Tangled, and how they're similar and how they're different. So fairy tales began as an oral tradition, uh, meaning that they were primarily told aloud and not written down for most of their history in the larger scope of things. Um, Fairy tales have developed across hundreds, for some even thousands, it's thought, of years. Um, Each time a story is told, it goes through natural changes. Um, Maybe the teller makes those changes on purpose with the goal of improving the story or making it appeal to a specific audience more, or maybe they just don't tell it quite right. You know, they don't remember every single detail. They make little changes. That's what happens when we tell stories, regardless of what kind of story it is. Um, Even when you tell stories about your own life, Every time you tell them, they change a little bit. Yes. It's the nature of the beast. And then, and then an interesting side effect is that that it actually like legitimately changes your memory of, if you're telling a, a story that is a memory, mm-hmm. the actual retelling where you forget and change it then cements that changed memory in your head. Our memory is a fickle thing. But <laughs> yeah. Anyways. So fairy tales have also developed across countries and across cultures. Some fairy tales traveled. Um, For example, the fairy tale that we would recognize as Beauty and the Beast is thought to be around 4,000 years old. Oh, wow. Um, Possibly coming from either the Mediterranean or the Middle East. There's a little bit of contention there. Um, But uh, traveled to Europe and became closer to the story that we recognize today while it was being retold in France, which is partly why the beauty, why the Disney version is set in France. Um, another, and that's another big reason that fairy tales change and have different variations. Someone telling the story in a different country is going to change that tale to reflect the local flavor. Different cultures find different things appealing, find different things relatable, etc., etc. Yeah, exactly. Now, a lot of fairy tales have traveled. Most of them have traveled. Um, some fairy tales can actually be traced back to multiple cultures and seemingly developed independent of each other. Uh, for example, some of the oldest variants of Cinderella come from Egypt and China, both variations recognizable as Cinderella, but can also be traced back to those cultures before those cultures had come into contact with each other. Um, Cinderella actually has one of the most variations of any fairy tale. Almost every culture has something that is recognizable as Cinderella. And that probably comes back to essentially the universality of the human experience. <laughs> yeah. It is a, you know. Um, a lot of stories are similar because a lot of humans are similar. Yeah. Yeah. As it turns out, we're... As it a lot turns more alike out, yeah, than we are we're, we're not really all that different yeah. as it happens. 
So every fairy tale has variants, sometimes hundreds of variants. Those variations are all about context. Each one reflects the time that it was told in, the place that it was told in, and the person telling it. So think of each fairy tale that you know as a giant family tree with tons of branches. Okay, uh, The folklore studies for this term is story morphology. Sweet. (laughs) Now, moving forward in our little timeline here, as the written word became more prominent, fairy tales began then to be collected and recorded. Um, So they became a little bit less of an oral tradition as time went on. We'll look at the Grimm's as an example, because they're probably the best known example. In the Western world. Yes, in the Western world, for sure. Uh, Jacob and Wilhelm um, were actually academics. They were cultural researchers. Uh, their mythology, their methodology for recording fairy tales actually became the basic basis for what we now know as for, gosh, folkloric studies. I'm excited. I'm talking too <laughs> no, fast. you're fine. You're good. Um, but there is one thing that we have to get straight here. The Grimm's did not write these stories. They conducted interviews. They wrote adaptations. They slapped their names on a collection. Their versions of the stories are simply another branch on that family tree. They didn't create these stories whole cloth. No. Side note to this. The Grimm's are actually also largely responsible for our perception of a fairy tale as a morality story meant for children. Somewhere along the line, they realized that they could sell a lot of books to dour Victorian-era <laughs> parents by sanitizing the stories and tossing a moral at the end. Mm-hmm. More on that later. So I think stories are a very different beast than how we think about them today. Stories today tend to have copyrights. They tend to belong to corporations, um, which means there's... A th- such thing as a canon or an official version of each story and its characters. Mm-hmm. Now, fairy tales and all folklore are not this. There is no such thing as an original, official, or definitive version of a fairy tale. There are some that are most well known, and we can also have earliest known or earliest recorded, but that's as close as we get. If you talk to anybody who's into folklore studies, that's how they're going to talk. And I wanted to prime you guys for this because that's how I'm going to talk. (laughs) So anyone who tells you that there's an original or official version of a fairy tale has no idea what they're talking about. That's my little PSA here. Um, A lot of people are just not super well informed. Yeah. But if you ever have somebody try to like sound like they know what they're talking about and they're like, oh, the original Cinderella, that person is talking out of their ass and they're not to be trusted. (laughs) So there's an Italian proverb that's popular among folklorists, which translates roughly to the fairy tale has no landlord. No one owns a fairy tale, not the Grimm's, not even Disney. (laughs) 
look, I love Disney. I think legally they I, do I, own I, quite a few, but... <laughs> they own their versions of them. I know, I know. I know they don't yeah. own the actual well, obviously, stories. Yeah, obviously they don't, because we see other versions yeah. made. That's the yeah. reason why Shrek can have Snow White yeah. in their story. Yeah, and, and why, because, there are, yeah. why there are little mermaids from random production yeah. companies like that one a few years ago. Disney sort of doesn't own those stories. Yeah. Um, their versions are just additional branches on the family tree. I love Disney, but I have no illusions about Disney. Yeah. I know it's about money. Oh, I'm aware. Boy. So much. So much money. All the money. So where am I going with this? This is my second PSA of the Learning Things segment. We own fairy tales. Fairy tales are the medium of the people. They are a medium of the common folk. Folklore and fairy tales are stories Stories are culture. Our stories are the cultural mythos that make up who we are. And in a world where corporations want to own that, engaging with fairy tales is an act of rebellion. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> fairy tales are anti-capitalist. Yes. Read them, write your own. Viva la resistance. Boom. I'm on board. She's got me on board. Fairy tales. I was already on board with fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, that was a little bit of a lot of bit of uh, the history of fairy tales, some background on fairy tales. Now you know a little bit about fairy tales, but there's so much more to learn. But we're going to talk about one very specific fairy tale, and that is Rapunzel. And that tower? Well, in that tower, there lived a girl who was just waiting for her life to begin. We really hit it off. How you doing? Gentleman that I am, I decided to help her. I'm prepared to offer you a deal. She could not resist me. I didn't want to have to do this, but you leave me no choice. Here comes the smolder. All right, so the Rapunzel that we are most familiar with, the story that comes up in our minds when somebody says Rapunzel is a German fairy tale recorded by the Brothers Grimm, uh, published in 1812 as part of the collection Children's and Household Tales. Now, their version of the story is actually an adaptation of an earlier German writer, Friedrich Schultz, um, who translated a French story called Personette by Charlotte Rose de la Comment de la Fosse, wow. or something like that. Um, which itself was influenced by an even earlier Italian tale, Petrocinea, written down by Giambattista Gian Gian Basile. Basile. Basile yeah. um, more on these guys later. But suffice to say, they did not pull this from nowhere. Yes. I mentioned earlier that the Grimms eventually sanitized their fairy tale collections to sell them mm -hmm. to children. Rapunzel is a real good example of this. The 1812 publication that I mentioned earlier uh, retains the out-of-wedlock pregnancy Ooh. that eventually reveals the prince's little visits. Um, but in the seventh edition of Children's and Household Tales, which was published in 1857, the prince's clandestine visits are revealed when Rapunzel absent-mindedly asks the witch why it takes her so much longer to climb the tower. Mm. So they took that pregnancy, they just cut it right out. Prince climbs it quick because he's about to get some. <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to get up there. He's like, let's go. <laughs> 
So Rapunzel is classified as type 310, the maiden in the tower, in the Arn Thompson classification system for folktales. I didn't talk about this quite yet. Um, Arne Thompson Uther Index, or the ATU Index, is a system of cataloging folktale types hmm. that is used in folklore studies. Um, so basically what it does is identifies similarities in various stories across cultures and then uses those similarities as a method of categorizing the stories. That's really interesting. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of different types that your fairy tale can be. Yeah. Rapunzel falls into type 310, archetype the maiden in the tower. Huh. I had no idea that existed, but that's super interesting. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I just I love the Thompson Index. <laughs> oh, it's really neat. Yeah. Now, some researchers have proposed that the earliest possible inspiration for the maiden in the tower archetype could possibly be pre-Christian sun or dawn goddess myths in which the light deity is trapped and then subsequently rescued. And one very similar myth is that of the Baltic solar goddess, Sole, who is held captive in a tower by a king. Hmm. Okay. So there's that kind of thread of similarity there. And, right? and those stories, I assume, are, are the, where the, they're held captive every evening and then rescued every morning or something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. As a way to explain why the, the sun, sun goes yeah. down and then rises yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. Um, kind of on the flip side of that, then, the earliest surviving reference to a female character with long hair that she offers to a male lover to climb like a ladder actually appears in the epic poem Shamane uh, by Fedosi, who was a Persian poet. Because hmm. um, I think that's one of the longest epic poems written by a single person. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Um, it's the the Chaminet or the the king the king's something I can't remember now. The king's tale, maybe. Never heard of either of those. I only heard of several epic poems, mainly like Gilgamesh. <laughs> and that's because literature classes only teach European. Yeah, no, uh, I read um, I read one of the. There's a Middle Eastern one I read, but I don't remember what it is. What's a what? What's isn't there like a very famous Indian or or Middle Eastern epic poem that's taught in? I'm not saying it's balances out. I'm just saying that I feel like I remember some. You weren't thinking of the Odyssey, are you? No, 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 no. no. Ah, I can't think of what I'm thinking of. But uh, never mind. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so the epic poem I was thinking of was in fact the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was an ancient Mesopotamian poem. The other one that I was thinking of when I said Indian that I read excerpts of was Ramayana, which is um, one of the two major Sanskrit epics uh, that came out of ancient India. Didn't read the whole thing. I don't know. How, it's pretty long, but I remember reading excerpts of it in like high school. So that's what I was thinking of. Um, back to our Italian friend then, Gian uh, Gian. Gian, I think Jean-Baptiste. 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 Basile. I wrote down a pronunciation, and now I can't even parse what I wrote down. It's Basile, and then it's like Jean, it's either Jean-Baptiste or Jean-Baptiste. Yeah. Either one. Jean-Baptiste Basile. Um, uh, Petrosinea yeah. um, is what he wrote down. That's the earliest record of a story. 
um, that we might clearly recognize as Rapunzel. Um, Personette, the French variant of the story that I mentioned earlier, was, I thought this was interesting, I didn't know this before I started researching, it was published by um, Charlotte Rose de Camon de la Force <laughs> while she was confined to an abbey due to perceived misconduct during service oh. in the court of uh, Louis XIV. Wow. Yeah. Um, she was a prominent figure in the Parisian salons and a contemporary of Charles, Charles Perrault, who published the most widely known version of Cinderella. Lots of people write in fairy tales in France yeah. right around that time. Yeah. So the name Rapunzel, some of you might already know this, refers to a type of leafy green. In the story that we know from Grimm's, um, she's named for the green that her mother wanted from the witch's garden. Um, simile, similarly, Basile's Petrosinea translates to parsley. Oh. So. I was literally just Googling that, didn't I? I had it later. <laughs> right down here. I was trying to figure <laughs> out what it, what it meant. Um, and speaking of the witch's garden, the seemingly unfair bargain that the husband makes with the witch in the opening of Rapunzel is actually a common convention in fairy tales. You might also remember it from Jack and the Beanstalk, trading a cow for beans, and Beauty and the Beast, trading a daughter for a rose. Yeah. And furthermore, folkloric beliefs often regarded it as dangerous to deny a pregnant woman any food that she craved. So... Back in the day, the idea that the husband would agree to give the witch his newborn baby in exchange for some lettuce from out of her garden might not have seemed all that crazy. Um, it was thought that a pregnant woman might die if you didn't get her the food that she was craving. Oh, I thought they meant it more in the common because it's. A, I was about to say when you said that, I was like, that's still a modern tropey, terrible like. Yeah, well, now it's a modern like misogynisty trope. Yeah, but like back in the day, they literally thought that like if we don't get her what she's craving, that could have like super detrimental effects. Like she could die. Maybe that was just their excuse. They were just like, or she's going to yell at me for a long time. <laughs> and then they were like, maybe it was the same excuses or it was the same reasoning like as the modern day trope. But it's, uh, they were like, no, she might die. <laughs> Gotta get it. <laughs> Nobody knows anything about science. She might die. Who cares? I actually think it's a really interesting thing because it's an example of a husband choosing the well-being of his wife over his unborn child. I find that interesting. That is interesting. Anyway, to close out our fun facts section here, a version of Rapunzel also appears in Andrew Lang's The Red Fairy Book. Um, Andrew Lang, another big name in fairy tales. Um, and the tale also is one of the most prominent storylines in Sondheim's musical Into the Woods. Mm-hmm. The musical without any hooks. I don't know why you dislike that <laughs> musical so much. None of the music has any hooks. Gotta have a hook for Brian. You gotta have a hook. I'm a sucker for a pop song or just anything with a hook. And that musical did nothing for me. I would be willing to rewatch it. I like Into the Woods a lot. The mu I mean, this story it was fine, but the music did nothing for me. And I just, I think it just, it lacked something for me 
the thing that I like about musicals, which is a nice hook. But whatever. I'm a basic, I'm a basic bitch. So, all right, that was it for our fun facts about Rapunzel. Let's go ahead and talk about Tangled. You coming, Blondie? And before we knew it, we began to uncover some secrets. I have to know what they are. I mean, this is serious stuff that just might turn this kingdom upside down. Flynn? Rider! Run! Head down. Head down. Arms in. Arms in. Knees apart. Knees apart. Knees apart. So Tangled is Disney's 50th animated feature. It was released in 2010 and directed by Nathan Greno and Byron Howard. Uh, Greno hasn't done a whole lot of other stuff. He worked, both of them worked for Disney. As di- and like most of Disney's people that direct eventually, they you know were animators and um, did a million different things on different Disney movies. Um, but Byron Howard also directed, or Brian Howard, yeah, also directed Bolt and Zootopia. Um, co-directed those. Uh, Nathan Grinnow did not uh, actually left the studio and now works for some other studio eventually. Uh, it was written by Dan Fogelman, who also wrote Cars, Bolt, and this, and writes on This Is Us. I think it's still on. I think that's still on. Yeah, yeah or write, wrote, writes on This Is Us. Has a bunch of credits for This Is Us. So his name looks familiar. It looked familiar to me, but I don't think. I think there's other Fogelmans that are. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there are. Yeah, <laughs> but um, before its release, the film actually was called Rapunzel, and they changed it to Tangled to market the film more gender-neutrally. Interesting. Uh, it's been reportedly this film was in production for six years, and it was estimated to cost $260 million, which, if that's accurate, this is estimated, this isn't, like, f- confirmed by Disney or anything, um, but if it did cost that much, it would make it the most expensive animated film ever made and one of the most expensive films ever made, period. I've heard that it was the most expensive animated film ever made. And that's based on the estimated budget. Again, from what I could find, there was no confirm. Like, Mm -hmm. Disney didn't say, yes, it cost this much. It was just, it's in production for this long. This many people were working on it. This is probably how much it cost type of thing. Uh, And uh, it was one of the first movies that blend, or it did a... An interesting thing where it blends CGI with uh, traditional animation. I think we've talked about that with one of the other movies we did. Also did a similar thing, but I can't remember which one it was now. Uh, the film stars Mandy Moore as Rapunzel. Zachary Levi, uh, probably most well-known from Shazam, the Thor movies, and the Marvelous Mrs. Mizell. And there's probably other things that I'm not remembering that people yell at me about. But those are the things I know him from. Uh, and Donna Murphy, uh, who's a five-time Tony Award nominee. She plays the grandmother, or the witch. Yeah, the witch. Um, and many more. Everybody knows who many more is. First pitched in 2001, uh, Michael Eisner approved the film, uh, but wanted it to be a CG animation. It was really originally pitched by Glenn Keane, who was the supervising animator for Disney. He, he was the one who pitched this movie. Um, he wanted it to be traditional animation, mm-hmm. because this is right where they were making that transition, uh, right around 2000. Um, and it was announced in 2003, once they decided on it being CGI, uh, it was announced in 2003 as Rapunzel Unbraided, and then scheduled for a 2007 release. And you'll notice, I thought that was interesting that it was called Rapunzel Unbraided, because it, then it became Rapunzel, 
and then before it was right before it was recently or close to its release, they changed it from Rapunzel to Tangled, mm-hmm. which kind of harkens back to the unbraided. Yeah, yeah, a it little does. bit, which I thought was interesting. And uh, so I thought this was interesting. Glenn Keane, like I said, who who was the supervising animator and who pitched Rapunzel, described that version of it that was originally pitched in 2000 or that was in production in 2003 as a Shrek-like version of the film. Oh, no. <laughs> Keane said of the original plot, quote, it was a fun, wonderful, witty version, and we had a couple of great writers. Didn't say who it was. But in my heart of hearts, I believed there was something much more sincere and genuine to get out of the story, so we set it aside and went back to the roots of the original fairy tale, end quote. They then pushed the film back to 2009 so that Keen had more time to work on the story. Eventually, though, Keen would step down. He was one of the directors originally, um, and he, he had to step down from directing because he had a heart attack in like 2008 or something like that, or even earlier than that. Um, but I, I had the year and I forgot what it was. But he stepped down and the other directors took over. Uh, Mandy Moore auditioned for the role, uh, along with a bunch of other people that we'll mention here in a second. But uh, during her audition, she had to sing something. Uh, and she could have been like a Mandy Moore, but she sang something, and the song she sang was "Help Me" by Joni Mitchell, which I thought was interesting. An interesting choice when you're auditioning for a Disney role, because I listened to it because it didn't immediately jump to me. I mean, I know what Joni Mitchell sounds like, but that mm-hmm. song didn't immediately jump into my head. And it's a, it's not a song I would necessarily pick if I'm like, oh, I want to be a Disney. I want to be a Disney princess. I'm not sure I would pick that song. It does have an interesting. It, it would require an interesting range i think mm-hmm. is what it sounds like when i listen to it but oh that might be why she picked it then potentially yeah, yeah. it's a, it sounds like a to me it sounds like a complicated song to sing mm-hmm. um as a complete layman <laughs> in terms of like focal knowledge but it sounds like a, a kind of a difficult song to sing uh so during the development of the film one of the most difficult problems was uh with the plot was how fa- them figuring out how to get rapunzel out of the tower without the movie immediately ending uh, because if they did, she had thereby escaped her mother and did not have any other specific objectives to pursue. Um, and so uh, during one of their meetings, an animator floated the idea of mysterious floating lanterns. They took that and they ran with it. So I already know that's not in the book. <laughs> uh, after watching the finished film, I thought this is interesting. Mandy Moore was disappointed because she felt that her voice sounded shrill. And then Zachary Zachary Levi uh, thought that his performance sounded incredibly nasally. Interesting. I also don't have this one in here, but they did not. They they only were in the same room once during the recording of the entire film, hmm. and that was when they were in the uh, recording one of their songs together, and they were in the room with the orchestra, hmm. like performing. But apart from that, they weren't together at all. Didn't even meet each other until that moment. As a counterpart to the, as a counterpart to the appealing and cute design of Rapunzel, the directors uh, wanted to make Flynn Rider quote the most handsome, most attractive male lead Disney has ever had end quote, and then they held and this is a quote a large hot man meeting end quote where they gathered thirty women from the studio and asked them what they considered attractive in a man. I have heard tell of the infamous hot man meeting. <laughs> they brought it, uh, the women then brought in hundreds of images of their favorite male actors and celebrities, which they tore apart and pasted back together to create uh, the most attractive man. After much deliberation, uh, the look was narrowed down to one concept drawing. 
It's a little problematic, maybe. <laughs> I mean, all I can imagine, and now not to say that it's the same, but imagine that situation reversed. Woof. It, it's, it's happened, I'm sure. Here's the thing. It's definitely happened. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it, it, but it <laughs> it is uh, one of those things that's a little like, hey. um, interesting. It was 2002, so, or whatever. Uh, so existing technology continued to present difficulties during the production of the film, and in particular the hair, obviously. The hair mm-hmm. is a, a big part of the film, a big part of the animation. Uh, and then one of the senior software engineers at Disney spent six years writing programs to make the, move, the hair move how they wanted it to. Uh, and it took all the way up until January of 2010, and they st- or even in January of 2010, and if you recall, this movie came out in 2010. Yeah. They still weren't sure if the hair would work in the final, like, render of the film. Uh, they ended up solving that problem in March using some technology that had been developed recently. Um, for Bolt, I believe, is what I read. Is They used some of the technology they used in Bolt, and that kind of got them where they needed to be. This is the first animated Disney princess film to get a PG rating. Was it because of the blood? I don't know. I don't remember enough details about the movie to know what... I mean, if there is blood, I would say yes, but I don't remember. I feel like I could be misremembering this, but I feel like at the very end, you can see some blood. We'll have to we'll have to look. It could be. It also could just be innuendo. We're getting into that... Oh, yeah. We're getting yeah. into that stage where there's a little more adult innuendo in Disney films. Um, so that potentially could be it. I don't know. We'll have to see. Because it'll say in the... MP, it's an MPAA rating or whatever. It'll say like for mm-hmm. blood and gore or for adult content or whatever. Yeah. Um, or in you know, uh, Rapunzel and Flynn apparently can both be seen in Frozen. Yeah, I did not know that. They're part of the crowd when the palace gates open for uh, Elsa's coronation. This is an interesting fun fact. So I said Mandy Moore auditioned and got the part. Uh, two other people auditioned for Rapunzel did not get the part. Those two people. Kristen Bell and Adina Menzel, <laughs> which that's got to be a feather in Mandy Moore's cap. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, just beat out Kristen Bell and Adina Menzel for <laughs> for a Rapunzel role. No big deal. Uh, well, she's probably regretting it now, wishing she had missed out on that one. Caught that frozen, that frozen gravy train. train. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I mean, this movie did well, as I'll mention here in a second, but didn't do frozen well. Um Film has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, just critically acclaimed across the board, uh, and and audiences loved it. It's you know, it's funny because it's not one of the movies I first think of when I think of like popular Disney movies, but it did very mm-hmm. well. Uh, and worldwide box office, it made close to 600 million dollars, and even against a budget of 260 million, that's a pretty pretty good return. So. I think I went to see this in theaters twice when it came out. I did not see this in theaters, but it was came out when I was a dude in college, so I wasn't going to see Disney movies very often at that point. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I've seen it since then, and I did enjoy it. I like I like a lot of the music in it, uh, which was Alan Menken. I didn't mention that, but Alan Menken mm-hmm. scored it, or did, yeah, scored it and did the songs and stuff, so. Um, classic Disney score. Cool. We're going to rewatch Rapunzel. We're going to rewatch Tangled. Have you reread Rapunzel yet? I haven't read it yet. It's very short, I assume. Yeah. So. And I will be... All, all of these old fairy tales are public domain, so you can find them online. I will share... I'll find a good version. Yeah. 
and share it online for you guys. Yeah, so you have no excuse not to read and watch this one. If you have Disney Plus, yeah, you can watch it, and you need to get Disney Plus, so then you can watch Hamilton. And <laughs> was it July or? Yeah, it was July. Yeah, so you gotta have you gotta have Disney Plus so you can watch Hamilton in July. Um, but yeah, uh, it's uh, if you know a lot of people have it on. Um, it might even this one's I think on Disney Plus. Are some of them still on Netflix or are they all off there by now? I don't know. They, I mean, they were all a lot of them were on Netflix for a while, and I, yeah, I know there were some pulling Disney them off movies as on they, Netflix. But anyways, um, we'll look and see. Uh, but go find Tangled and watch it, and then uh, we'll we'll see, we'll give you the we'll give you the Grimm's fairy tale so you can read it. it shouldn't take very long, and then you can finally be all read up and watched up for an episode. I say finally. I'm sure some people will do. <laughs> No, Shelby does both. Uh, Shelby, I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll see you in one week's time when we're talking about Tangled. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.